Susie Silver is an executive vice president at Millennium Properties. In this episode, we discuss how she transitioned from tax to real estate, some advice she received on how to become a good broker, and much more. Thank you for driving down the road to real estate. Enjoy the show. Hey, Susie, thanks for joining the podcast. Uh, glad to have you. So first I wanted to ask, uh, what was your first interest in real estate? So I went to university of Illinois and I was a business economics major and I'm not sure exactly when I get interested in real estate at some point when I was in college. Um, but senior year, I joined the row Epsilon club and I took, there was only actually back then one real estate finance class. And I took that one and really liked it. And that's when it started. Um, my first job after college was at Arthur Anderson in their tax department, and I specialize in taxation of real estate. And then I went from there to VMS Realty Partners and was in their tax department. That was a company that syndicated real estate deals. And from there, I went to another firm called Benjamin Sherman and Sons, where I was a property accountant. And then ultimately, I became a broker. And when, when did you eventually want to realize, hey, I want to become a broker and stop doing accounting for real estate. When I was at Benjamin Sherman and Sons, I, you know, I didn't love the job. I liked it. I thought it was interesting. And I was learning a lot. And I was at a business dinner with the president of the company and all of the property managers. And he turned to me in the middle of the dinner and said, where do you see yourself in a few years? And I'm like, what do you mean? I kind of like where I am. He's like, no, I don't think you should be in this department forever. And I was like, oh my God, I think he's going to fire me. <laughs> and then he got distracted and turned to, you know, stop talking about it. I was like, oh my God, I think he's going to fire me. I'm, I have to be, you know, I was freaking out a little bit and came home and relayed the conversation to my dad. And my dad was like, no, 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 no. This is a good thing. This is your opportunity to get out of accounting, which is dead end and to go somewhere else within the company. And he said, I want you to think about what you want to do and go talk to David and, you know, think about it, have your plan all well laid out, you know, every single thing you want to do, sell yourself and go in there and talk to him, go into his office. So the next day I went into his office and I'm like, you know what, David, I want to continue the conversation that you brought up the other night. And he said, really? And he, I don't even know if he really remembered it. And I said, yeah, you asked me what I wanted to do. And here is what my long-term, you know, my short-term and my long-term goals were. And he said, you know what, let's go take a ride. Let's go look at a property in Hyde Park. And let's talk. And so I went through, I had the whole thing laid out in my mind, what I was going to say. And I talked to him and I told him how I always wanted to do some type of sales, but you know, sales is like financial services and that being in accounting was wonderful. And I loved it because it made me help understand how properties worked and the accounting process and the property management, but it's not where I saw myself long-term. He said, you know what, I'm going to make you a broker. And 30 days later, I was in the brokerage department. So it was really one person who gave me a shot. Now, how was that transition, those 30 days? What did you do to prepare? Uh, did you have to get your real estate license in those 30 days? How did that work? Um, so during that time, I did not, I, I spent the next 30 days just cleaning up the work, the stuff that I was working on with the properties and and giving it to other people in the on the team. I did not start getting my real estate license probably until April, which was, the, I started April 1st. And I think that's when I started working on my real estate license. At the time, now you can do everything 
you can do with self-study at the time you actually hit specific class times that you had to take and sign up for everything was in person so you didn't start off as a broker initially you had to obviously get your license first correct no no no, no. It, the, I, I immediately started out as a broker just for i mean it didn't take that long to get the license i think it was two months so during that time when i was taking the class you just have to you are allowed to show properties you're just not allowed to talk about pricing i think okay so, so it's just i could still show the properties but i was you know it doesn't take that long i think i took the class it might have been i mean i don't remember but i think i was done within two months and who were your biggest mentors through the beginning process of becoming a broker um the person i'm still with today dan Hyman. he taught me everything i know um and he and i were a team and i started out as a junior broker and you know now i work with him as a partner what was the what was the best advice he gave you as a junior broker if any Oh, he gave me two two pieces of advice that I still use today. Return every phone call, every phone call within 24 hours. And when you're on a tour, don't talk too much. Listen to what people are saying. Pay attention to what they're saying and what they're doing, because that's a good way to screen potential buyers. Okay. And the going back to the phone call, why? It's kind of obvious, but if you want to explain, why is it so important to answer every call within 24 hours? and not just like two days, three days. Because it's because you're showing respect. And there are a couple of things. You got to call people back right away because you could be missing an opportunity. And people get, you know, they're irritated. And most people don't return phone calls. And so if you return a phone call and you pay attention and you take good notes, it puts you ahead of the game. People are people. It, it sets you apart from the other brokers. And it's a it's a show of respect. You should always call people back right away. Always. And when you don't, you got to apologize and say, you know what, I'm really sorry I didn't. I've gotten, you know, a couple of times what was interesting is years, you know, I probably have been a broker maybe five years and I was introduced to somebody and we, we met at the property or actually he and I were talking on the phone and I said, oh, I said, you know what, your name sounds so familiar. I think I know who, I think we've talked before. And he goes, no, are you sure? I'm like, no, I think we did. And I said, I'll, I'll come up with it in about 15, 20 minutes. We talked about his property. We set a time to meet, you know, two days later to tour it. I called him back. You know, I was always, I was very, you know, um, I, I just made sure that I was very thorough when I talked to him, I understood his property and, you know, I called him to confirm the date. But in the meantime, for when I initially spoke with him to the time I met him, I looked through my notes and I take very good notes and every single person who called me and I went through all my notes and I found the property I talked to him about. And I called him before the meeting and I said, looking forward to seeing you on Thursday and said, Oh, by the way, you and I spoke April, I'm making up the date, April 23rd of 2015. You called me about this property, but you didn't like it because of these reasons. I hung up. It was the message. I thought, Oh my God, he must think I'm crazy. Well, when he met me, we took a tour. He hired me and he said to me, he hired me on the spot. And he said to me, I knew the minute you called me back and you knew when I had called the date and why that you were the right person. Oh, wow. So you got it, you know what I mean? And I called him, I, I followed up very quickly when I said to him, I'm going to figure this, you know, here's a perfect example. I said to him, I'm going to figure out how I know you and I'm going to let you know. And so because I did it so quickly and there was follow-up, he knew that I was going to call everyone back. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a perfect example. If you don't call people back, let's say somebody calls you about a property and they have a time, a time frame, a time limit, like they're doing a 1031 exchange. You know what that is? Yes. 
Okay, so you have 30 days to identify a property. Let's say somebody calls you and they, they're on day 25. If you don't call them back for three days, they can't get in to see the property in time and you're out. And you might have had the right, pro the exact per perfect property that they're looking for. Sometimes people have time constraints. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Another thing is if they want to go out and, you know, if you're doing office leasing or retail leasing and you're the landlord rep and a broker calls you and says, you know what, we want to go tour on Tuesday and here, you know, I call me back because I'd like to talk to you about setting up a time and you don't call them back in time. You're not going to be on the tour. You're out. Mm -hmm. Now I wanted to go back to uh, your note taking, because I think it's very important for people, no matter mm -hmm. what industry you're in take notes because you forget 90% of things you think of. Uh, what is your best strategy for writing things down? Do you use your computer, a notepad? Are you old school? Like how do, how do you do that? So I have something called, and most people don't use it. It's a very old system called ACT. And every property has a different, like every, every different property that I have or contact has their own contact number. So like, for example, I'm looking at this person's name that's up on my screen. It says Michael Kaufman and the company is the property name. And then underneath that, I have notes. There's a, there's a tab for notes. And each time someone calls me, the, the date pops, I put it on the exact date that they've called me the time, the time doesn't matter, but I write down the person's name. If they're an investor or a tenant or a buyer, I put down their phone number, their email address, and how they contacted me and any correspondence that we've had. And so every time, you know, it just makes it really easy for me to find people. And usually I remember often when someone called me in which apartment or which building that they're calling me on. Um, but it just, it, it, it keeps it very organized. And then when I send my update letters every, you know, 60, 90 days to let the owner know what's going on, all the information is already there and written out. When I go and look at a property and take notes, I usually take them on my phone under notes. Okay. So I don't write, I mean, I do write things down, um, but I usually throw out the pieces of paper because that's too hard to organize. It's much easier to have like a database. Now in very busy weeks, how do you, um, how do you manage all your contacts and how do you make sure you're giving all of your clients the time of day during very busy weeks? We have a lot of people to contact. Well, I always call everybody back. So that's the first thing I do every morning is return every phone call or at the end of the end of the day, I don't leave my office until all the phone calls are returned. And if I can't for whatever reason, because I'm not in the office, because often I'm not, I call, I either send an email if I haven't and say, listen, I'll contact you tomorrow. Or I just call them first thing in the morning and apologize and just say I left because people sometimes, you know, somebody was emailing me last night at midnight and I responded to him, but you know, then I called him this morning to talk to him about what he was looking for. Do you, um, do you usually weeks, check your emails you know, late? The thing with busy weeks is not every property takes a lot of time every day. It ranges. So you, you just, yeah, I'm very good at using my time and using it wisely. Um, and I just try and prioritize. Do you usually uh, check your emails late at night sometimes before you go to bed? Always. Not almost always. Yeah, that's very important. And I check them when the first thing I do when I wake up, I check them. Um. So what exactly, um, what property types do you lease or sell? So most brokers specialize. So most brokers either do apartments or they do retail or they do office or triple net deals. I'm one of the few brokers and everyone at my firm is the same way where we do a little bit of everything. So I, you know, right now I have a 
my portfolio, I'd have to look at it, but my portfolio consists of a triple net deal with a very short-term lease in the back of the yards, which is on the south. I have a couple of vacant Dominics for sale. One is one in East Dundee, one in Buffalo Grove. I have um, a few small properties that I'm selling. I'm selling something in McHenry that's a former currency exchange. So it's just all over the board. I have a bunch of stuff for lease from the same family. They own five or six buildings and I'm leasing all their first floor space. So it ranges. And every year, the properties that I have, the product type varies. So I have three industrial buildings this year. Two years ago, I hadn't done an industrial building in a while. And is it difficult getting into a new uh, property type? And understanding uh, I've the... been doing it for so long that it's not because I know most of them pretty well, and I know how to I know how to figure it out. I, I and it makes me look at properties in a different way because I understand all the different product types. I think if you've been doing retail for years and years and years, you don't understand office, and likewise, if you've been doing office for years, you really don't understand retail. Do you have a uh, preference of a certain property type to deal with? I don't probably the least I don't love doing apartments. It's kind of a pain in the neck. I don't love showing apartments where people are. I, if it's a vacant building, I'm fine. I don't love showing apartments where people there are their tenants there. Mm-hmm. The pain. It's harder. You have to you have to make sure it's okay with the tenant. I don't want to be there if there's dogs. You know, there it's a bunch of little stuff I don't particularly care for. Now, has there ever been a time where you were showing an empty building, and you had to go through with the client and kind of put together what this could be if you know what i'm talking I about I, I do not really like if, if you're going if you're going around with a client uh seeing what this building could later become i think you told a story at Ro epsilon about this i'm not 100 sure which one and then i can i i don't so if i'm if i'm representing the tenant or the buyer, then I might give some more creative ideas and explain to them how something can be laid out. If there's a broker representing somebody and I'm representing the landlord, I try to keep my mouth shut, even though often the broker might be saying the wrong thing. So if I'm in a building and someone's looking at office space and I'm trying to help them lay it out, then I would absolutely, I would pipe in, you know, I might might chime in and if, if, if I think the broker is giving bad advice, I definitely might explain to them how a better way to lay out the space. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, I wanted to bring up, um, if you want to tell the audience what your nickname is in the real estate world and why is it your nickname? Oh. <laughs> the queen, queen of crap. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? Because I sell a lot of distressed properties that, you know, that are treasures to some people and, you know, headaches to others. A lot of the stuff, not in this market because it's so strong and the banks haven't been foreclosing on it, but typically most of my business is bank owned and the properties are vacant, which means it's a zero cap rate and most of them have issues. So like, I'll give you an example, the property I'm selling in, it's called the back of the yards. It's on 4600 South Ashland. The Social Security Administration is there. They're only going to stay there one more year. It's a really tricky deal because without the Social Security there and a guaranteed rent at a very high rate, the property is worth almost nothing because mm-hmm. it's not, even though it has an Ashland address, it's really not on Ashland. It's on the street behind it, which is McDonald's. So there's no visibility. So that means you can only put office there. You really can't put retail, even though it's sort of, it is a retail address and it's sort of and it's behind an Aldi but no retailer is going to go there so you have to and it's not in the greatest neighborhood it's an okay neighborhood you have to find the right use and when I met with the 
owners. I said, this is, I said, they're marketing it wrong. They're marketing this as a triple net deal. I said, you can't do that. You have to market it as a deal where there's a stream of income for a year, but you got to find a user and you got to find a user like a daycare center. So the building's only 9,400 square feet. So you need like a daycare center, you need a church, you need a nonprofit, someone who needs the parking, needs a small building and can take that rent that they get for a year, which is about, you know, $270,000 and use that to help them buy the property. And then they'll owe it, they'll, they'll own it at a very low number. You know, the mortgage will be low if they have a mortgage at all. The owners will get the money out of it, the money that they put into it and everybody's sort of happy. The minute that the social security administration leaves, Properties, instead of being worth $1.1 million, it's worth like $400,000. Yeah. And ironically, we just got an offer to buy it, and it was from a church. Oh, wow. And it works because the church knows that they're okay not to occupy it for a year, and they're just going to take that money and just be happy. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's the only way to make it work. You have to find, or you have to find someone who can use it because users always pay more money than investors, or you had to find an investor who would buy this property and then buy the stuff on Ashland that was that's sort of in front of it and make a huge development deal. But the problem with that is it takes time. How, how hard is it to find a tenant to lease up a distressed property in a non-favorable area of the city? Very hard. And if it's distressed, you usually try and sell it and let the, let, you want to let the buyer, you want to let the buyer make their own deal. What's your, you what's your, sell, you sell the sizzle. You don't necessarily sell the steak. Mm-hmm. What, what's your marketing strategy for certain, those kind of properties? Um, it's got to be priced right. Because if it's priced too high, it, it's not as sensitive as like, with residential, that's much more price sensitive. With commercial, you can you can list it really high and then just keep lowering the price and just changing your story. But you want to have good signage, and you got to figure out depending on where you are. You got to co-op with brokers, which a lot of you know co-brokers, which a lot of commercial brokers don't like to do. They want don't want to split their fee, and you got to look and see who owns property in the area and call them. Okay. So like for example, if I take a new property, I'll go on CoStar. And I'll find out who owns property in the area and I'll call all those people. So how many, uh, how many cold calls are you doing usually a week or a day? It ranges. I mean, there's some days where I could make, you know, 20 or 30 in a day. The last couple of weeks I've been so busy. I haven't really made any. I'm just returning phone calls. I send out emails to people, you know, but it just depends. Okay. In the old days, I probably, when I first started and didn't have as much work, I was probably making, you know, 30 cold calls a day, but now it ranges. It just depends how busy I am. What's kind of your, um, your go-to during a cold call to try to get someone to uh, look at the property. Most people will take my calls because they're always interested in talking to someone about real estate. You can't convince someone to see it. You just have to tell them about the property. And I usually just call them, introduce myself, tell them I'm selling a property in the area would love to talk to them about it. Is there any, you know, would you like interest information on it? And often they'll just say, send me a brochure. Okay. Do do you make your own brochures? No, we have a marketing person who does that. Got it. Okay. You can't be, I mean, my opinion, you can't be too pushy. You can't make a property what it's not because what happens then is if you don't tell the truth and you're not honest, they're going to go put under contract and then they're going to go through their due diligence and start inspecting stuff 
and realizing and realize that it's it's not what you said it was mm-hmm. so you can't you, you should always tell the truth and be as truthful as you can and give real numbers giving pro forma numbers that aren't real doesn't help you in the long run yeah now has there ever been a deal where you really didn't think uh anything would come of it and surprisingly uh you guys ended up making a deal on a property not so much with sales because most of the stuff I do is landlord rep. And I, so before the, before the great recession in 08, I think my, my track record, I sold like 99% of my listings. There might've been like three listings that I hadn't sold in the, my whole career. And maybe in my whole career now, there are maybe 10, I'd have to count. There aren't that many. I'm pretty tenacious and just keep working at it. The one things that have happened to me is that I've taken a lot of leasing assignments where I'm doing tenant rep deals and representing tenant in office space. And initially, you know, the couple times the tenants have wanted a thousand square feet and maybe one year. And by the time I was done, they wanted 10 years and they wanted 22,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. So it changes. That's really, you know, I take small deals, which a lot of people don't. I mean, one thing, was always a good um, a good lesson. Is the first years and years ago, I sold some property in Elgin, and it was Dominic's at the time. And then it became Safeway, and we sold it to Dominic's. And in the mid- middle of the sale, Safeway bought Dominic's, and Safeway still ended up buying the property, which was great. And I met the new buyers out at the property, and you know they said to me, "We got along nicely. They were really late. You know, we were really late at night. It might have been like at seven o'clock at night." when they were out there, we, we got to talking and they said to me, would you ever lease small strip centers? I go, sure. I don't mind. They're like, you wouldn't mind taking a, a lease for a thousand square feet. I said, not at all. Because, and they said, you know what, we've got some stuff for you. The broker who they've been doing a lot of work with chose not to take the small stuff. He would only take the big stuff. I said, I'm happy to take small stuff. I didn't care. Well, you know, 20 years later, he's no longer worked for them. I still work for them. And the small stuff turned into big stuff. You know, it turned in, my first lease for them was I think it was like 1,500 square feet. And now I'm leasing a lot of their vacant, dom- they were, you know, the vacant Dominics, which are 60,000 square feet. Wow, yeah, that's definitely a, a good lesson to learn if you want more right. uh, clients. Yeah. Uh, you're willing to take anything. Yeah. <laughs> so Sometimes you have to be careful because some stuff, you can't take stuff that's a waste of time. If I give someone a valuation, and I think it's worth less than they do, I'm not going to fight for it. I mean, I will tell them I'll always list it at the number that they want to start, but I always let them know it's not worth that much money. You got, they have to understand it. And all these brokers, a lot of times they take things and hope that they'll throw it up. What they hope they'll do is they'll list it high and see what happens. And then they'll just start pushing the, 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 the owner to reduce the price. And that's just not smart because mm-hmm. in the end, they just don't want to work with you. They get angry. How do you get most of your landlord rep clients? Uh, is it more word of mouth? Word of mouth. It's a lot of it's referral and it's a lot of repeat, repeat business. So if you do a good job, you're more likely to get uh, referred to. Yeah, I've had some of the same clients for years. Oh, wow. And what, what's, what's in general your favorite part of uh, being a broker? I think learning different things. You know, I'm always happy to learn something new working with people, but I do like that it's it's there's a creativity to it because I have to look at a property and try and figure out who the logical buyer is. Not always right, but often. And, you know, that, that always makes me feel good. I mean, like I, a joke was I sold 
I can't remember what it was called. It was the River North Grill. Not a River North. It was River Force. The River Force Grill, I think it was on North 7225 West North Avenue in River Forest. And when I met the owner, I said to him, I said, you know, this really should be Taco Burrito King. That's who should go there. This is the kind of property that they like. I said, I don't know them, but this is really who should go there. I said, but they're down the street, so I don't think they're going to come. And sure enough, you know who ended up buying it? Taco hmm. Burrito King. He had a lease and he ended up wanting to buy something. Oh my God. But I got lucky. You know what I mean? So that was sort of a, that was sort of a nice little feather in my cap. I was pretty proud of that. Mm -hmm. Now what's one, what's one piece of advice you'd uh, tell an up and coming broker starting out in the field? Uh, yeah. You gotta work hard. It's a hard job. You know, a lot of people think it's easy and it's not. You have to work hard. And like I said, you got to always return phone calls. You've got to be nice to people. Don't lie. Be honest. But you got to you got to come in and make the calls. You can't just slap. A, if you just put signs up, it's not going to work. You're not going to be successful. You really have to do the work. You got to figure, you know, like I'm leasing some stuff in Mundelein and I was getting no calls on it. So what I did was I went on the multiple listing service, which is residential. And I called every single broker who had leased or sold any commercial property in Mundelein for the past like five years. And I called every single one of them and sent out brochures. Now, I don't know that, that I got anything out of it, but at least I was making calls and letting people know that it was there. Would you say that's the most amount of work you've done on one property to try to get a list or try to get a tenant or a buyer? No. What do you mean? What's like, what's the most amount of work you've put on in one property to find a potential tenant for your property or a buyer? That's probably where you're just making cold calls. Like if I think a cleaner should go into, I've done this before where I thought a cleaners should go into this space and I called all the cleaners oh, in, wow. in Chicago and got, you know, ones who were in like River North Gold Coast it was a while ago. And eventually I did get a cleaners in there. Oh, wow. And um, the last question I usually ask my podcast is, uh, what is one thing you would tell your 18 year old self from what you know now? Hmm. What would I tell my 18 year old self? Um, you got to work hard and you got to make your own luck. You can get lucky, but you, usually it's making your own luck. Make your own luck. I love that. Uh -huh. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, is there any my way, pleasure. is there any way people can connect with you on, uh, social media if anyone wants to chat oh i i'm yeah i'm on linkedin linkedin okay. <laughs> yeah linkedin or you can always go on our website and you can call me i'm always happy to help Susie silver linkedin everybody uh well yeah. thanks again uh we'll talk to you later well thanks alex thanks for asking me a real pleasure it was an honor to do this no problem